Hello, Story Community. Our gatherings are filling up quickly. Our Wonder Workshop with Brad Montague in Nashville and Chicago is completely sold out, but there are still a few seats left in L.A. and Denver for April and May. This is an incredible opportunity to spend a day learning from and being inspired by the creator of Kid President and so much more. His name is Brad Montague, and I promise you it's going to have a huge impact on your work and your creativity. And we've kept these workshops very, very affordable. Be sure to check them out. To learn more and to register, go to storygatherings.com forward slash workshops. It was a slow transition, but it's kind of like what I did in those early days of photography. I said, oh, I'm not passionate about sports. I'm not going to photograph those. I'm not passionate about weddings. I'm not going to photograph those. I slowly started removing things that I wasn't passionate about. And what was left wasn't always photography-based things. I started accepting things that I was passionate about that were video-related or, you know, somebody would hire me to do writing. And I was like, I thought that I was going to be a photographer. You know, in my mind, the people that I admired that I aspired to be were these photographers. And I was like, my life isn't looking anything like who I thought these, who my idols were, who the people I admired were. So what am I? Since the beginning of time, Artists and creators have been the architects of culture. Through thought-provoking art and emotionally moving stories, artists have asked important questions, changed narratives, and offered hope. But where do you start? For example, how do you go from just taking beautiful photos to creating work that promotes good in the world? I am Harris III, and that is the topic of this week's conversation on The Story Podcast. There are things meant for you that are currently beyond your imagination. The only way to become a better storyteller is by telling more stories. Your greatest work may not be seen by millions of people. Keep making anyway. To be a writer, we have to sit down and we have to do the work and we don't get up until it's finished. The only hope we have are the stories we tell. Stories not bound by what is possible. We are proud to be storytellers. This week, Kellen Robison and I sat down with Brandon Harvey. I'm a storyteller focused on the good in the world, and I help brands and nonprofits tell stories that matter and stick with people far beyond seeing a piece of content or a photo or a story online. Brandon used to think that his dream was to be a photographer. He invested all of his time and energy into shooting new photos, learning from the most talented photographers in the industry, pushing his photos to their limits, talking cameras, gears, etc., etc., and it all paid off. He has worked with some of the best brands in the world, traveling all over the globe. But eventually, he slowly started falling out of love with photography. It's not that he had stopped taking photos. He just eventually realized that his goals were changing and discovered what he really was, a storyteller. Now he has told stories for major brands like Southwest Airlines, Comcast, and Starbucks. But what did that process look like? And when and how did he discover that aha moment? Let's start at the beginning of the story. I 
I was taking a class in high school. And uh, as a part of that class, you got to use a DSLR for an entire year, which is unreal. Like, that's so cool. I'm so thankful for that. And I just started going hard with the camera. I started shooting photos every single day. I went out and I did so much stuff beyond what my class required of me. And uh, I started to just become really passionate about this world of photography. And slowly that became my job in high school, which was crazy. Um, and it, it was so much fun. What were you taking photos of? I, at the beginning, it was a little bit of everything. And I slowly learned to pare down what I was shooting. So for the first few months, it was, I was shooting sports and I was shooting landscapes and I was shooting people and families and weddings and this whole variety of things. And then I started to realize, oh, you know what? I'm not passionate about photographing families. Let me pass those gigs off to other people. Oh, I'm not passionate about taking photos of sports or at least in the way that you know, the jobs coming to me would require of me. So I would pass those off. And I started to kind of whittle my way down to the point where I was mostly just photographing people. What was your first paid gig as a photographer? Oh my gosh. Um, I, so I'd been putting stuff out online and somebody came across my website, which just had a few photos that I'd put up there. I'd somehow learned how to build a website when I was a kid. And they gave me a phone call and I guess I had my phone number on there and I picked up the phone and it was this girl who had been attending the university in my town and she was, she'd been studying to be a fashion designer and she was kind of launching this line of clothes and she wanted me to photograph the lookbook for that. Wow. And I was like, okay, let's do this. <laughs> um, but then immediately I kind of was, was capped yeah, I was captured by fear. I was so overwhelmed by fear in that moment on that phone call. And I said, actually, no, I'm, I, I can't do it. I don't, I'm, I'm not able to, I don't have the ability to, I don't have the skills to like all these things were going through my head and coming out my mouth. And I just said, I can't do it. And I hung up the phone. No way. And I was, I was just so afraid. I, I had no idea how to be a photographer. And I knew that I dreamed of being a photographer, but it, you know, you get that sinking feeling in your stomach. What if I screw up? What if they find out that I'm not good and not talented enough? And after, the, after I hung up the phone call, I felt really good for a second. I was like, oh, sweet. I like avoided the pain. That's fantastic. <laughs> and then I pretty quickly realized no, I wanted to do that gig. That's something that was important to me. And so I called her back and I just, I was essentially like on my knees groveling, but on the phone. And uh, she ended up letting me do the, she the gig. She took you back. She took me back. <laughs> and I ended up getting to shoot that, do that shoot. And, and in all fairness, I don't think I was prepared. I don't think that I was ready at that time. But I had a month and a half before that shoot came up and I spent that month and a half closing that gap as much as I could. And I went to the library. I picked out books on how to shoot fashion work. I, I borrowed a, a reflector from somebody. I got uh, all the right lenses I needed and I, I went into the shoot more prepared because of that fear, because of that anxiety. And I ended up being really proud of the photos when I came out of it. Amazing. So you kept taking photos and eventually there comes this point where you realize I'm not really a photographer. I'm a storyteller. You may still take photos, 
photography might be a part of your thing, but you're a storyteller. When you think back to that moment, is there a clear defining moment where there was this like, aha, I'm a storyteller? Man, yeah. I mean, that transition absolutely happened. I don't know if it happened on purpose. I don't know if it happened in a moment. I think that it it was a slow transition, but it's kind of like what I did in those early days of photography. I said, oh, I'm not passionate about sports. I'm not going to photograph those. I'm not passionate about weddings. I'm not going to photograph those. I slowly started removing things that I wasn't passionate about. And what was left wasn't always photography-based things. I started accepting things that I was passionate about that were video-related or you know, somebody would hire me to do writing. And I was like, I thought that I was going to be a photographer. You know, In my mind, the people that I admired that I aspired to be were these photographers. And I was like, my life isn't looking anything like who I thought these, who my idols were, who the people I admired were. So what am I? And I kind of had to figure out what that thread between all those things was. And it happened to just be that I wanted to tell stories. And specifically what I found is I continued to pair away uh, at at what kind of stories it was, uh, I wanted to tell stories that mattered. I wanted to tell stories that talked about, I wanted to tell stories that challenged the way that I saw the world and challenged the way that other people saw the world in a way that makes us more empathetic and hopeful and more willing to make an impact in the lives of people around us. Where do you think that came from? I think back to my early days on MySpace. Um, oh, wow. So, so back on MySpace, you could have... I think Kellen's too young to have had him. Did you have a MySpace? I didn't, but most of my friends did. Okay. Yeah. So MySpace was fantastic. You could have your top eight, and then at one point you could have like top 12, <laughs> top 16 of your favorite people. And most people put all their friends in there, but I was putting musicians, nonprofits, and and leaders in there. I don't know why. This is when I was in middle school, and those were the people I was drawn to. And looking back on that, what I find uh, the, the kind of that's the crimson cord that weaves all these things together is uh, is that all of these people were using their art to make a difference. And so I didn't realize it at the time. I just thought that I liked this musician's music and I liked this nonprofit and the way that they uh, talked about something that mattered to me. And I liked this you know, political leader, uh, but all these people were using their voice to make a difference in the world. And so down the road when I realized, oh, maybe I don't need to be looking up to all of these photographers, that was when I realized, okay, who are all these people in totally different fields that I've been admiring? How can I, you know, they say that we are the combination of the five people we spend the most time with. I think mm-hmm. that's also true about the five people that you spend the most time reading and, and admiring and all these things. And so I think that I realized that the common thread between all of these people and, and kind of who I wanted to be was somebody who used their art to make a difference. And I think that what they were doing just really connected with me. So how did you start doing that? How did you start telling stories? Because it began a lot with Instagram, right? Yeah, yeah. So through this time, I had moved to Portland, which is one of the most beautiful cities in the whole world, Portland, Oregon. But the other Portland's also beautiful. Um, (laughs) And I was shooting photos and I was sharing them. And people 
were starting to engage with them. And these were the early days of Instagram. And so it was kind of cheating that I was on essentially the first photo-based social network and I was a photographer. You know, I had a leg up on the competition in the same way that a comedian who joined Twitter in the early days had a leg up or a filmmaker on YouTube had a leg up. And so I started sharing photos and people started really connecting with them, following, liking. And I kind of developed this audience early on. And that was not expected, not planned, but I found that it came with the nice side effect of uh, being able to get in meetings with the people I wanted to have conversations with. And so for me, I started saying, who are the people I admire in this new city I'm in? And for for me, that was uh, those are brands. You know, there there's some fantastic brands in Portland. There's there's Nike, Adidas, there's um, the TEDx Portland is one of the top TEDx's in the whole world. Um, there's and then there were nonprofits that I really admired, and there was also this conference focused on justice that was one of the biggest uh, justice focused conferences in the world, and that was in Portland. And so I just started kind of taking meetings with all these people, saying, "Hey, how can I help you? How can I use my photography? How can I use my newfound social media skills to help you?" You know do what you're doing better. And there's a lot of people listening right now that are wondering, but how did you do that? You just go knock on their office door at their corporate headquarters and be like, hi, I'm Brandon. I want to help you tell your story. Yeah. Did you send them letters? Did you, what did you do? Yeah. I, I think what I did was I just tried to be a, a nice guy who wanted to help. Um, <laughs> I did a lot of stuff for free early on. Um, and I think so here's the thing. It's not like I said, I want to have a meeting with Nike. I'm going to go have a meeting with Nike. It was, oh, I live in Portland. I'm actually you know, volunteering at this one nonprofit, and another person volunteering there works at Nike. Why don't I ask this guy how, how I can help him? And so for all of us, the things that we uh, are connected with are different, and they're unique to us. And so I just started saying, oh, you know, this person right here, I feel like, we would vibe really well if we kind of collaborated to create something together. And so it was just a matter of saying, how can I help you? Um, and, and doing that in the people that I was around. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it makes sense. So that means your advice to other people who want to do a similar thing is just to go serve and say, how can I help you? And figure out how their strengths align with what their needs are. Exactly. Start there. I think that there's a matter of self-care that has to come in there. You know, you can't overextend yourself. You've got to prioritize the things that are going to help you pay for groceries and support your family. You know, you can't just go and do a whole bunch of free stuff all the time, but where you have the opportunity and where it serves you well as well, um, try to give more than 50% of the value to somebody. Try to say, hey, I want to do this thing for you. And if you get to learn from it or get connected from it, or it gives you a new skill, then that's the best. But find a way to help somebody else um, on something that kind of lights you up, that gets you excited. Yeah. Did they tell you no ever? I think I think that my tactic has always been, and this is something I've maybe learned over time, is I've just said, here's what I do. I think it could be helpful to you. If it is, let's work together. If not, that's fine. And in the early days where it was just me saying, hey, I'm a photographer, that's not actually as helpful to these people as you know things that I've that I'm doing now. And so if you think back, it's supply and demand. Back in the day when I was in Portland, there's tons of photographers in Portland. 
So back in the day when I would go to a brand or a nonprofit and, you know, Nike, for example, and I were to say, hey, I'm a photographer. Do you need a photographer? They've got a million photographers they can choose from. There's no shortage of photographers for them. So that's not as valuable and, and more so it's not as memorable. Um, but if you have a little bit more of a niche, you know, if you say, Hey, you know what, Nike, I actually am really good at photographing, um, unicyclists in the woods, um, who have, you know, really, really pale skin. I'm really good at lighting them. I'm really good at capturing, you know, take something really specific. That person right there may not need that right now. You know, they probably don't have a shoot that has that, but in two or three years when one of their friends at Adidas says, Hey, we're actually doing this crazy shoot with this person who's who wears a kilt. Um, he's a professional unicyclist. Uh, but here's the thing. He's got super white skin, and all the photographers we're photographing him with, they just can't light him well. Do you know anybody? There's only one person that that person <laughs> knows who can, be, who can solve that problem. And obviously, that's an totally. extreme example. But... You know, now is it extreme though? Yeah, exactly. Happens every day. I'm, I can tell you stories about unicyclists in Portland. There's some fantastic oh, unicyclists in Portland, um, but <laughs> the uh, but now what I do is, you know, I tell brands, hey, I tell stories that matter. I help brands and nonprofits tell compelling stories that make a difference in the world and that people remember for years to come when the con- like when the content is turned off on the internet and. People are still thinking about it. And so when a brand says, oh, we've got a social, you know, when when Starbucks goes, Brandon, we've got a social good message we want to talk about. We don't want to talk about a new Frappuccino. We want to talk about how on World AIDS Day, we donate money to Red uh, to fight AIDS in seven countries in Africa. They specifically know, you know, Brandon would actually be a good fit for that. He's a liaison for that kind of thing. Um, there's, you know, I'm sure that there's a few other people who do that, but for my contact at you know Starbucks, I'm the only person that they know. And so kind of honing in on a niche really, really helps. When did you transition from Instagram to Snapchat? Fantastic question. I don't think that I ever made a transition, but I did expand. So I never stopped shooting photos on Instagram. Um, I never stopped sharing photos on Instagram, but there was a point where I saw Snapchat as a really compelling opportunity. And what it was, was they released stories, which now, you know, everything's got stories. Facebook Messenger has Mm -hmm. stories. Instagram has stories. Snapchat's got stories. Medium, the writing app, like they've got stories now. But I was like, what if I could tell compelling stories that were not just, oh, here's what I'm eating. Here's me with my friends. Here's me, you know, all these things that people normally share on Snapchat. I was like, what if I did a whole narrative every day, just one compelling story that is overarching? And I just saw it as a personal challenge. And I, I just, yeah, I guess I just started playing around with the idea, with the medium, with no followers. I think that's the best way to start things, honestly, is when you, before you have a single follower, before you have anybody paying attention, because then you can take risks. People always ask me, they reach out and they email me and they say, how do I get a whole bunch of followers? I'm, I'm thinking about trying this new thing and I want people to see it. And I say, try the thing first, then worry about getting the followers because the moment you get the followers, it's a lot harder to take risks, to take chances. And 
you know, the people who do take risks and take chances when they have a lot of followers, those people I admire so much. But early on, you know, you can really express yourself creatively without any followers. So on Snapchat, that's what I started doing. I started just trying all kinds of new stuff, figuring out new ways. It's in a lot of ways, it's filmmaking that edits itself. And so you can experiment really quickly and you don't have to film one day and then edit for an entire week. You just, it happens instantaneously. And it changed the way that I saw storytelling and it changed the way that I saw connecting with an audience online. And uh, I think that, that it really informed the way that I told stories across all different mediums. Yeah. I, what I find interesting about that question is that it, it's a big transition because Instagram, I would imagine at the time, you're the pi- person behind the camera. And all of a sudden on Snapchat, you know, you're now the focus of, not necessarily the focus, that's the wrong word, but you are the storyteller, I'm, you're yeah, the host. I'm of the, the main character yeah, in some ways. Yeah, yeah, I hadn't even thought of it that way, but I guess that's true. And I think, I think, and I guess another thing is on Instagram, I've always been fairly serious. You know, I've decided, oh, I'm going to tell stories that matter. And so I share these long form captions. Um, I really engage in comments. I'm sharing these uh, kind of more artistic photos a lot of the time, or at least in the past, that's what I always did. And then through that process, I kind of felt like I was forgetting a part of me, this kind of goofy, silly self who, uh, who maybe one day dreams of photographing a person on a unicycle in a kilt uh, in the woods. You know, it keeps coming back it, to the unicycle. It, it'll keep on coming back for years. Um, but I think I was neglecting this goofy side, and so I saw Snapchat as a way to tell stories that let that part of me out. And I think that was a really fun transition. It was really scary. I honestly... Uh, still get nervous every time I make a Snapchat story because I just put myself out there all the way. I actually get butterflies when I do it. And I think that kind of lets me know that I'm doing something that's worth doing. That's, yeah. you know, it's, it's Snapchat. It sounds so stupid to be like, it's, it matters. It's meaningful. But the fact that it pushes me outside my comfort zone is a good reminder to keep on snapping. Well, I'm curious, like two two years from now, if someone discovers this podcast episode, are they going to listen to it and say, what is what is Snapchat? <laughs> Can I tell you <laughs> a story? Give us your prediction. What's going to happen? Oh my gosh. No, for real. I uh, I was just in Southwest Magazine, Southwest, Southwest Airlines I Magazine. I saw that. It was, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, <laughs> I, I saw the photo and it's... Um, it's so funny being in there, but it talked about how I travel the world doing Snapchats and, and all these things. And then they sent me this giant metal plaque of, of the page from the magazine. And it's like sitting in my house. It's like framed. It's ginormous. And it's one of those things where I can't put that up. That's super embarrassing. <laughs> like you can't put that on your wall because it's just a big picture of me. And it's an article talking about like how I Snapchat, but I, I can't throw it away either, no. you know? And so one day my kids or my grandkids are going to find this giant metal <laughs> thing that was from a magazine. Magazines won't even be a thing anymore. And they'll be like, what is Snapchat? Like it's <laughs> the whole thing won't make any sense. Um, Snapchat, I think, will be around for a while. I don't think that they're going anywhere. Snapchat is the most innovative social, the most innovative social network, and potentially the most innovative tech company in the world. To a point where I think it annoys me. Mm. <laughs> um, but if you think about it, a year or two ago, Facebook or Twitter or Instagram would rarely release updates, and when they did, think about when Facebook used to release updates. 
on the newsfeed for days. The only thing people could talk about is, I hate the new newsfeed. I hate the new Facebook. I hate the new colors, you know, whatever it is. And then Snapchat started coming out and being like, oh, you know, this week we're adding these like crazy filters. This week we're adding this thing where you can cut out your face. This thing, you know, they keep on adding these weird new things. And they just started pushing all these other tech companies to innovate on a more regular basis. And I think it's good for everybody. I think it's good for other platforms. I think it's good for storytellers. I think that it's going to change the way that people tell stories for years to come. For some of us more amateur content creators on Snapchat or Instagram. Why are you looking at me can, in the corner of your eyes? No, 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 no. <laughs> um, can you make us feel better and tell us how many takes you take of a certain clip? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I've got two perspectives on how to do a Snapchat. I mean, so I will say when I get hired by a brand to, to tell a story on Snapchat, you know, sometimes brands will fly me out places and be like, oh, we want you to like document this event or, or share this experience or, or tell your personal story about something. Um, whenever I do that, my Snapchat is fully scripted. And the goal is then to become an actor and figure out a way to make it not feel scripted, to make it feel authentic and to make it something that actually connects with people so that they connect with it. So uh, first of all, there's there's several drafts of the script. You know, I'm going hard, making sure that this is something that's interesting, engaging, entertaining. I want to add value to people. Um, but then I'm I'm doing several takes trying to figure out how to make this fun, how to make yeah. this interesting. And oftentimes my wife, Sammy, obviously you guys know her, uh, she's there and she'll be like, Oh, that one, you know, you did something weird with your eyebrows. That one, <laughs> you know, your hand, what is your hand doing? I'm, I'm, I use my hands a lot. Um, but I, you know, I take, you know, five or six takes on a lot of the snaps I put out. And it's really funny, especially the ones where like, I'm falling or I'm like on a skateboard, you know, it's, I, I've got a lot of bruises from Snapchat. Oh goodness. <laughs> so you are what many would consider a social media professional or expert for all of us who, who are not, or should we be telling stories on Instagram right now? Can we delete our Snapchat accounts? Yeah. I What's mean, like advice? I said, Snapchat isn't going anywhere. Snapchat's going to be around for a while. It's just a matter of who you're trying to reach. So I've got totally different audiences on Instagram and Snapchat. My Snapchat audience uh, is is mostly uh, kids in their teens and then people in their early 20s. Well, my Instagram audience is more 25 to 35. And so I don't put the same content on either of those platforms. In Ever? Fact, Almost, I would say I've done it once in the last, you know, nine months. The stories have been around, and so. But you see enough value in both that you are telling stories on both platforms. Yeah, and and over time, you know, I'll figure out, you know, who my tribe is. To you know, to use the word tribe, uh, more so, you know, and I'll. You've always got to be honing in what is adding the most value, what's the most compelling. And so I love Instagram. I think Instagram is the premier platform for telling stories right now. I think it's the number one place to tell stories, whether you're a writer, a filmmaker, a photographer, um, a poet, you know, whatever it is, Instagram is the place. But for some people, you know, Snapchat is the place because their audience is on there or because the tools that Snapchat offers are on there or the tone is on there. You know, Snapchat is much more fun. If you post a really goofy, fun thing on Instagram, it's not going to 
have the same effect as if you post something really goofy and fun on Snapchat. And so it's a matter of figuring out what works best for you. But as a whole, Instagram is definitely the number one platform. But if a brand came to you and asked for your advice, you would you would instruct them to tell stories in different ways on both platforms. Yeah, I would. I really would. I think every platform is different. And I think that as long as, you know, if you've got a, a knitting company and your target demographic is 40-year-olds, you're not going to use Snapchat. But if you're Coca-Cola, you're going to tell your story you're going to tell your brand story on Instagram and you're also going to tell it on Snapchat and you're going to tell it on Twitter, but each of those you're reaching totally different people. And so you're going to create totally different content. So what about someone who's not a Nike or a Starbucks or a Southwest Airlines? It's someone who is just trying to build their individual platform. They're a writer or a speaker or, and they're already feeling overwhelmed because yeah. they, they feel this constant pressure of like, gosh, every day I'm supposed to be tweeting this many times and I'm telling stories I've got to, and I just don't have time for to also do this app and this network. What, what would you say to them? I would say pick. You know, it's okay to just pick one or two. I have had a number of social networks where I just said, "Oh, I'm I'm going to ignore that. I'm not going to focus on that." And I think that that's 100% okay. Um, definitely push your boundaries. Try new things, but don't feel like you have to go all in on anything. And just find your voice. You know, figure out what works well for you. The nice thing about Instagram that I think is really compelling uh, as a as a tool to use if you were to just choose one thing, is that there's several ways to, to tell stories on there. You know, you've got a caption, you've got photos, you've got slideshows, and you have stories. You got vo- you've got video too. So there's a lot there that you can mess with, um, but figure out what works for you. So someone who is obviously pro-social media because it's how you make your living and it's how you tell your stories, what, what do you say to the naysayers, the people who are constantly giving us pushback about all the negative things that social media is doing in our culture. Yeah, you know, at the end of the day, social media is a tool and you can use a hammer to hit somebody over the head or you can use a hammer to build a house. You know, there's two extreme things that you can do. And in a lot of ways, I've spent my time on social media for years since, you know, I think back to 2005, when I started paying attention to people who were using social media to make a difference in the world. I think about invisible children in the way that they mobilize youth on MySpace to show up and to show, like, to call their congressmen, to to march in the streets to free child soldiers from the LRA. Or I think about people who used Twitter to uh, mobilize people to respond to Haiti in huge, incredible ways. Um, or the fact that, you know, on, on Twitter today, there's these incredible communities of people who uh, show up and, and give people love and comfort and empathy when they're struggling with, um, when they're struggling with mental health. You know, there's all kinds of different ways to use social media for good. And that's what I'm trying to tap into now. You know, that's what I'm trying to figure out. Because for years I figured out, oh, here's how I can get the most likes. Here's how I can get the most followers. And I, I, I figured out a lot of the tricks there. But what are the tricks to making a difference through social media? What are the tricks to mobilizing people to get off of Facebook and to take action because of Facebook. I haven't figured it all out yet, but I'm getting there. I'm, that's what I'm studying. That's what I'm trying to learn. And to just totally ignore that tool is 
I would dare to say that it's not creative. It's, it's limiting your capacity to create something. If you're seeing it as only a tool for negativity, then I would dare to say that your mind isn't open enough. So I love how you're using social media to promote good. Part of the reason we really wanted to sit down with you today is you're launching a huge project that continues on with that idea. Tell us about that. What is the next step for spreading good in the world? Yeah. So for the last few months, I've been slaving away at this new project. I think that the last year, year and a half has exhausted me in a lot of ways. It's the divisive politics. It's the it's the systematic injustices that we're waking up to. It's the way that relationships are, are being shattered because of politics or because of, you know, in some ways, social media. And I was just left kind of at zero. And I'm a super optimistic, happy-go-lucky dude. And for me to kind of hit zero was ridiculous. Um, and I thought, we've got to figure out a way to fill people with more hope, you know, because the truth is that despite all of the terrible things happening in the world, all of the bad news, all the injustice, all the division, all the fear, there's a lot of good in the news. And so I started thinking, what if we were to spread that good? And, and what better way to spread good news than a newspaper? And so uh, a team of creative people that I love and I set out to create the good newspaper. And the good newspaper is this celebration of people and ideas and movements that are making a difference in the world. And then it also has tools and, uh, and inspiration and practical advice on how to become the good in the world ourselves. And so we're super excited about it. We launched it on Kickstarter this morning. You can see the bags under my eyes from not sleeping for weeks and, um, and just the pure exhaustion. But we're super proud to have this out in the world. We're so excited for people to um, actually be able to hold good news as kind of an actual tangible thing. Uh, this is an actual physical newspaper. And I think there's something powerful about flipping through it and, and reading these stories of people who are you know, using social media and activism and, and all kinds of ridiculous ways to make a difference in the world and then figuring out for ourselves how we can follow in those footsteps, how we can follow in that wake and make changes in our own communities. Yeah. What's the URL for the campaign? You can find the campaign at goodnewspaper.co and it'll redirect you straight to Kickstarter. We actually just hit 50% of our funding goal and we launched like six hours ago. It's honestly unreal. I was not expecting to break $1,000 today. I was so nervous. <laughs> well, I think what it shows is that your theory is correct, that there is an absence of <clears throat> good news in the world. And you know, that's not even true the way I said it. There's not an absence of good news. There's an absence of good being talked about on the news, mm -hmm. so to speak, you know, the quote unquote news. Um, it just, it feels like there's so much fear and anxiety that comes from every time you turn on the radio or the television or I walk to the airport and see a news headline on the front of a newspaper. It's just all the horrible things that are constantly mm -hmm. happening. And I think what you're experiencing right now, the overwhelming support to the campaign is just, everybody in our culture raising their hands going, yes, I want some more good news in my life. Totally. And I think that something that we're specifically focusing on is 
good news with meaning, with depth, because there's a lot of stories of, you know, dogs rescuing people and celebrities showing up at hospitals or, or giving to charity. And, and all those things are fantastic. Those are great. But we want to dive into the things that are broken in the world and find the hope within those things. We don't want to ignore the bad things happening in the world and just shut shut everything bad out. Um, and I think that's been something I've learned over the last year and a half. You know, I started a podcast. It's called Sounds Good. And at first, the goal was to have conversations with really happy people. That's what I thought would be a really fun show. And as I dove into that, and as I started having conversations with people, I realized that the most happy, joyful people in the world were people who had experienced a great amount of suffering or pain or struggle. And overcoming that is what led to that hope. And I started sure. thinking, what if that's true with everything? What if the most dark moments allow for us to find the most hope? You know, what if hope can shine the brightest in the midst of these dark moments? And so that's what I've that's what we've created with the good newspaper. It's it's diving into the systematic oppression, the the division, these terrible things that are going on in the world and we're we're not ignoring them. We're saying, where are the helpers? Is that Mr. Rogers quote? It's incredible. It's, you know, Mr. Rogers said, when I was a boy and I would see scary things in the news, my mother would say to me, look for the helpers. You'll always find people who are helping. And and that's what we're doing. We're looking at the bad things in the news and looking for the helpers and we're celebrating them and we're learning how to become the helpers. Why is it that you think that so much of Hollywood spends all their time on social media venting about everything that they hate in the world? It's one of my pet peeves actually. You know, you you discover this amazing film. It moves you. It gives you hope. And the person that told me a story of hope and inspired me, you look them up online, you start following that director, that screenwriter on Twitter, and they're like the epitome of the most negative person in the entire world. Why is it that we tell a story a certain way to inspire hope on a screen, but then we like get sucked into the temptation of just like venting on Twitter? Can you explain that to me? I think a lot of people forget or maybe haven't even learned yet that social media is an art form in and of itself. I see social media as something that you can be creative within, that you can create beauty with. And for these people in Hollywood, they've been working all their lives to create art on the screen. And that's meaningful and powerful and important. And you're, you're so right when you say like it moved you and it, it spurred you towards action uh, because they're good artists. They're good at what they do. Totally. But when you spend all your time focusing on that, you might forget, oh, social media could be used as a tool to do that as well. And so I'm constantly inspired by people. I've never really used this phrase before, but uh, who are social media artists. They're finding a way to tell stories on social media that matter, that move people, that inspire action. And, and that's what I'm trying to do. I think I'm trying to follow after the people who have been doing that for a while. And I don't, you know, I don't think that there's ever going to be a Grammys for, you know, using social media to create beautiful art, but I think that it's going to have an impact on people. I think it's already having an impact on people. Yeah. For all of us listening, what advice would you give to storytellers that want to do just that? You know, I would say start small, really focus in on what you have the ability to do. You know, I remember 
a few years ago, I was invited by a large organization to volunteer my time to build a house. And I was like, oh, that sounds really fun until I realized I don't have the ability to build a house. And they only had 30 slots for people that could work on that house. And I thought, if somebody's going to volunteer their time, they should maybe be like good at this. You know, they should maybe not screw this up. And, and so I ended up saying, no, I can't, I can't do that. It's not that I can't do that. I probably shouldn't do that. And I thought, what if I were to use, I, at this time I was just a photographer. What if I were to use my photography to make a difference in people's lives? Uh, that's a skill I have that not everybody else has. And so I ended up getting to go out and shoot photos of this family who otherwise would not have been able to afford photos as a part of Jeremy Cowart's Help Portrait, which is beautiful and amazing. And it was a really meaningful experience. And I, I got to start small with just photographing this one family, even though that wasn't something I was passionate about. It was a skill that I had and I knew that it would make a difference. And so I think that for so many of us, we've got certain things that we're gifted at. Um, you know, maybe you love filmmaking or maybe you love poetry or, or maybe you work at an agency or a, just a store. What's something within your little range that you can actually jump on board with and, and, and take action on that nobody else can do? What are you uniquely qualified to do? And so for me, you know, I get to tell stories and, and use photos and words and, and social media to tell these things. And I think for so many other people, it's going to look different, but, um, I'd say stay in your lane. Don't, don't try to be somebody else. Uh, don't try to just copy what somebody else is doing to make a difference in the world. Figure out what you do that that's uniquely, yeah. that's uniquely you. Yeah. A year from now, the good newspaper would be considered a success by you when you go to bed at night. If what? Cause I've got a feeling your answer is not, who I had a successful Kickstarter campaign or I have this many readers. I think it's deeper and more meaningful than that. So for the last year, as almost a test run leading up to the good newspaper, I've run something called the good news letter where every single week I send out five pieces of hopeful news to people and they just show up in people's inboxes. And I just wanted to see do people care about good news? Because I knew that I was starting to care about it and I wanted to figure out if I, I wanted to learn how to find it and collect it and share it in a way that, that people responded, but I wasn't sure how other people would react. And it's been crazy to see people's response and, and people really do want good news. And I I look at the last year and I don't think about the number of subscribers we have or the number of times we've been written up in, in media or news stories. The most exciting thing for me are, are the few occasions, and I've got these emails bookmarked on my computer, where people have responded and said, wow, I can't believe that that teacher you know, found that way to connect with his students. I'm a teacher too, and this last week, I went out and tried to do that with my students and it worked, and I think it's gonna make a difference in their lives. Or another person who said, wow, I cannot believe the story of that person who just showed up in the lives of one of their neighbors who couldn't take care of their house. I got some friends together, we went out and we tried that with a neighbor that we'd been thinking about for a while, 
And oh my gosh, it was so fulfilling and our neighbor really appreciated it. That's the stuff that gets me excited. That's the stuff that moves me. And honestly, it inspires me to do the same, you know, seeing other people do that. And so the good newspaper will be successful if people take action on it based off of their own creativity. We're gonna spell out some really specific stuff in the good newspaper. If you care about refugees, do this. And if you wanna do one more thing, do this. And if you wanna do the next level thing, do this. But I would love to see people take those action steps and remix them in their own unique way. That's how I'll know it's a success. I love Brandon's story and how it has impacted the way he is telling other people's stories. It reminds us that as storytellers, we all have the power to be change makers in the world. Let's all be a part of celebrating good news in a media-saturated world that is so often focused on bad news. I love Brandon's dream of the good newspaper and how that dream is quickly becoming a reality. Check out the project by going to goodnewspaper.co and follow along with Brandon's journey by following at Brandon Harvey on socials or through his website at brandonharvey.com. That's B-R-A-N-D-E-N harvey.com. I am Harris III, and thank you so much for listening to our show. The last couple of weeks, we've been experimenting with some different formats, and I hope you're enjoying the improvements. As always, I would love your feedback. You can email me personally at harris at astoria.com. That's harris at I-S-T-O-R-I-A.com. Talk to you soon. What's the craziest thing that's ever happened to you while you were working a job? Probably the time when I almost got kicked out of the White House by the Secret Service. <laughs> to hear the rest of the story and get additional creative inspiration, visit storygatherings.com slash podcast. This episode was produced by Harris III. It was mixed by Chad Michael Snavely and music was written by Aaron Farmer. The Story Podcast is a production of Astoria Collective. Thank you for listening.